please remain standing, if you can, for the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would this morning lift us up to not just hear about And not even just to know about, but to know personally the risen Lord. And I pray that we in his light would be able to leave this place and live for you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. That's a well-known sermon. How many of you have heard that sermon before? It's Friday, but Sunday, Sunday's coming. A, a few of you, yeah, there were more people that heard of this in the early service. There was, it, the origins are a, a, a black preacher. His name was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Uh, don't you love his mother to name his son? Shadrach Meshach. And uh, he preached this sermon and Tony Campolo heard him preach it. And then Tony Campolo was a conference speaker. I heard him at a, at a youth director's conference back in 1977, 1978. I heard him preach this sermon. And all he did to acknowledge its source was, I heard from, from Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, the best sermon I've ever heard. It was this. And then he preached the sermon. It's Friday. Jesus was praying. Peter's a-sleeping, Judas betraying, but Sunday's coming. And he went on and developed that theme 
with this uh, rhythm. Just, it, just, it was a wonderful, wonderful sermon. And I'm not going to preach that again to you because I have the sequel. The sequel is, it's Sunday. But Monday's coming. Think about it. This is my 37th Easter sermon. Celebrating the same fact in history that Christ our Lord is risen today. And I've been thinking, why aren't we amazed all the time, all year round? Just consider it. It actually happened. And if you believe it actually happened, is there anything else that is newsworthy compared to that? We should be thrilled all the time, except for a couple of reasons. One is, I don't think we can live on a high emotional level constantly. That's not the way we're made. When we get to heaven... Perhaps that's what we will experience. Picture the best thrill in this life, your highest day. Multiply it times a thousand and think what it would be like to live at that level for eternity. That's the bliss and glory of heaven. It's it's unimaginable. But we're not constituted to kind of stay up there all the time. And besides that, we turn back and go tomorrow into a world that is still filled with difficulties and challenges and problems. It's Sunday. The earth is shaking. The guards are quaking. The dead are awaking. But Monday's coming. It's Sunday. The disciples are believing in Jesus. They're seeing. But he says he is leaving. Monday's coming. As I reflect on 37 years of preaching Easter sermons, I I, I try to think, how do we make the connection between what we celebrate and praise God for today and turn around and face tomorrow the challenges of life that are before us in the fallen world? Can you make that connection? Can you say, yes, it is Sunday. We praise God. Do you think of it? It's just inspiring. I just love that Easter sermon. I love that Easter music. I love that. It was so uplifting. And then tomorrow, it's yesterday's news. And you're back in the real world. Is that the way you think about it? After 37 years, if I could do one thing as a preacher, if somebody said, one thing would be to get this across, make the connection between Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the way you think about life and face the challenges on Monday. Our outline this morning from this passage, this passage is, this isn't a message of mine. As I read this passage, I thought this is the passage. The title of this message is Great Expectations, Unsettled Disciples. What were their expectations? Why were they unsettled? Did you, as I read the passage, did you sense 
that they still had some questions. They, they were unsettled because Jesus was leaving. And they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Our outline is that the resurrection is real history. So what do we expect in real life? And then what role do we have in restoring the kingdom until he comes again? So let's work our way through this passage to get to the point where the disciples are asking this question that I believe reveals something still kind of unsettled in them. First, the resurrection is real history. Acts was written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. From the beginning of the, of the book, he, he writes as a historian in my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This is real history. It has, it has the uh, signs of real history. Luke is saying in my former book, Theophilus, he's writing this. You know, for a friend whom he wants to, to tell the details of what happened with Jesus. And now he's going to tell in the book of Acts what happened in the expansion of the church as the gospel of Jesus is spread throughout all over the world. In the gospel of Luke, he begins in, in much the same way. He says in chapter 1 of, of his gospel, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those uh, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. He didn't exactly have... uh, now, hearings before the House or the Senate, but he investigated. He talked with those eyewitnesses. He is the historian writing down what happened. We have you know, four different Gospels with different accounts of the resurrection. And they didn't conspire with one another. They didn't collude with one another to make up a story that syncs with each other. They tell it from different perspectives. In Matthew's Gospel, the account of the resurrection is most dramatic Matthew is the one that tells us about an earthquake. The other Gospels don't. There's a, this earthquake, that's why at the beginning of the service, when it is dramatic, with the music, we went to Matthew and talked about the earthquake and the sun rolled away. It's the most dramatic rendering of the resurrection. And it's also the most apologetic, not in the sense of, I'm so sorry. In theological terms, apologetics is a defense of the faith. And Matthew is the one that talks about the guards being posted at the tomb. That's proof of the resurrection because a seal being placed on the tomb, guards put at the tomb, shows that there is an awareness that the followers of Jesus might seal the body. The Pharisees were concerned about that and pretend he was resurrected. They wanted to make sure it didn't happen because Jesus had been saying, and I will rise again on the third day. So Matthew points that out. And then after the resurrection, the guards are told, tell everybody you fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. Matthew's just pointing that out because it's so ludicrous. Roman guards would be killed for such a failure of duty. 
So Matthew points that out. It's the most dramatic, most apologetic. Mark's account is the most abrupt. It tells the resurrection. The women go and find the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. And it ends with saying, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark emphasizes the fact of the resurrection, even though the disciples were not up to it yet. They were confounded by it. They were were wondering. They had to be convinced. Far from it being something that the disciples were so enthusiastic that they just made it up to sell uh, a faith to the world. So Mark emphasizes that. John's account is most personal. He's the one who actually ran to the tomb with Peter. And Peter got there first, but John just ran on past him inside. And he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the way he referred to himself. When he tells about uh, the appearances of Christ, it's most personal. He's the one that tells about Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? I love reading the Gospel of John because it is so personal in the way he accounts for the resurrection of Jesus and the appearances afterwards. Luke's is historical. Not that the others weren't historical, but what I mean by that is he wrote it as a historian. He says at the beginning of his gospel, there are many eyewitnesses and I myself have carefully investigated and I put forward an orderly account of uh, the things that Jesus uh, began to do and to teach. And he begins the book of Acts referring to that former book, his gospel, that about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Uh, Luke tells us about uh, more events and the appearances of Christ than Matthew or Mark. Now, Luke tells us about Jesus meeting with the men on the road to Emmaus. Luke emphasizes as a historian the big picture of history. Uh, Jesus said these things had to happen in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled. The scriptures such as Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If Jesus had just come and restored an earthly kingdom to Israel, how could that scripture have been fulfilled? Luke is emphasizing that Jesus said all these things had to happen in order to fulfill the scriptures. And so we come in Acts. He's referring to the, the former book, writing again to Theophilus. And he's going to tell a little bit more. He's going to tell about the expansion of this gospel all over the the known world at the time. And he begins with the resurrection. After his suffering, his death on the cross, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Luke is concerned that his reader Theophilus and we as his readers know The resurrection is real history. Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's what we celebrate here on Easter. It's Sunday. But Monday's coming. Jesus is leaving. He's speaking about the kingdom of God And the disciples are expecting the kingdom of God. His message during his earthly ministry before his death was the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And on one occasion, Luke points out, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard, heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And at this point, we learn something from the disciples by the question they asked him. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, that's been the question that's been the backdrop of it all. When Jesus came to them and said, follow me, there must have been something astounding about him for people just to get up and leave and follow him. He hadn't done the miracles yet. He hadn't you know, begun to show himself yet, but he spoke with authority, he said, follow me. He, he, he must have come across as the Messiah to them. They at least knew enough, believed enough to follow him. Then he showed them by his miracles, by his authority that he was, uh, speak, he was sent from God. He was the Messiah. In, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked them directly, and Peter speaks for all the disciples, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the great confession of who Christ is and what he came to do as Messiah to restore the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's all about the kingdom. But now he's talking about leaving. He's telling them, stay in Jerusalem and you'll receive the gift that uh, I've told you about. That'll be the gift from my father promised. It's the Holy Spirit. And instead of being all excited about the, the Holy Spirit, they're thinking he's leaving? See, I think all along they kept expecting this kingdom to be restored to Israel. When I read that passage, I had a flashback. I flashed back to an evening where I was expecting something and it didn't, well, I'll tell you how it, how it went. When I graduated from high school in 1972, speaking of history, that's ancient history now, my birthday in that summer fell on a Sunday night. And in the summer, what we did in our church's youth group is the families would host youth group every Sunday night and we'd have, families, we'd have dinner at different families' houses. It was a lot of fun. During the winter, we met at the church. In the summer, we met at people's homes. And my mother volunteered to host the youth group at our house on that Sunday night. And I thought, I know what that's about. I know what she's doing. It was really busy getting ready for it. You know, when you do something a lot, you kind of get into a, a rhythm. It becomes more routine. But when you do something once, I remember it was a flurry of activity, just trying to provide this meal for 30 people uh, coming over and I thought I know what this is about I know what's coming and everybody came in nobody mentioned my birthday but I thought they're keeping it this is going to be a surprise and so we had the meal and it's, you don't do the birthday at the meal you do it with the cake at dessert and then we had something else for dessert and I thought they're really being clever you know, they, they're first communicating like they forgot, and then they'll have a surprise. And then people began to leave. <laughs> and I began to wonder. And sure enough, everybody left. And I didn't say anything. And yeah, I was a high school graduate. I was not the little kid that was all distraught. Oh, you forgot my birthday. I actually thought it was kind of funny. And I didn't say a word. 
And I went to bed that night. And after we all went to sleep, my mother woke up. And she came and burst into the room. She said, I am so sorry. We forgot your birthday. And I said, I know. (laughs) I said, now what am I going to get for my birthday? (laughs) You get something better. Yeah, when, when, when they didn't do it the, in the first place. And I read this passage and I thought, you know, the disciples must have been thinking the kingdom's coming, that, that, that party's happening, that the celebration's coming, Israel's going to be restored. And we know that that was the mindset of Israel. We've talked about that. Judas himself was one who thought he could force Jesus' hand by betraying him. The fact that he repented of betraying him and had that remorse he even committed suicide he threw the money back and he said i betrayed an innocent man he wasn't trying to have jesus killed he was trying to have jesus act with the power that he had seen in the miracles to overthrow rome and restore the kingdom to israel that's what judas was doing the other disciples were not that far from him although they trusted jesus and just kind of followed along But why were they so distressed? Jesus had been saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be handed over, I'll be killed. But I'll rise again on the third day. And they're going, yeah, yeah, I know what they're doing, he's doing. He's going to do something special. This week the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel. And then he's talking about leaving. And they're still to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. The fact that they didn't ask, Lord... What's it going to be like to receive the Holy Spirit? So their mind was elsewhere. So Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, Monday was coming. Jesus was leaving. Monday was coming. And they were left wondering. Jesus answered, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, how's that for an unsatisfactory answer? He just says, the kingdom being restored to Israel, that's not the point. That's not for you to know. The times are the dates. We know that Jesus is coming again. We still look forward to that uh, future and that history. Jesus himself said in his own human nature, he didn't know the, the day or the times. Only the Father knows. That's not what we're to be concerned about We're to be concerned about our role in restoring the kingdom. Before we get to that, I want to ask you how much you and I are like the disciples. We come and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We worship God and we praise him for the most extraordinary event that ever happened. Anybody, even I think the the atheist or agnostic would admit, if this really happened, it would be the most extraordinary event in history, that Jesus rose from the dead. They just don't believe it if they're atheists. We know it actually happened. So we come and praise God for that. But then on Monday, how much of a difference does it make in the way we face our problems? This passage ends with that very realistic note that they go back, they turn to the real world. In verse 12, it says, Then they return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. There's almost tediousness to, to knowing how far it was a Sabbath day walk. It's getting back to the, the real world. You think, this is worship, tomorrow's the real world. This is the real world today. Face tomorrow 
in its light. What role do we expect? Uh, what, what role do we have in restoring the kingdom until he comes again? Jesus said, after he said, it's not for you to know the dates or times, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's our role. God is not so much restoring uh, the ideal kingdom to this fallen world. He doesn't fix our every problem. He, he does something greater than that, but he still leaves us in the fallen world to be his witnesses. See, there are two things that we receive here. First is power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You might go immediately to Pentecost and think of the miraculous demonstration of the tongues and people hearing that it was the miraculous power, that you don't have that power. No, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus Christ, his spirit dwells in you. It is his spirit that gave you faith in the first place. It is his spirit that gives you new desires to to want to follow him. It is his spirit that makes you aware and assured of the blessings he's given you through the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's forgiven your sins. It is his spirit that enables you to respond differently on Monday because of what we praise God for on Sunday. That's the power of the spirit so that You are witnesses of these things. We witness all the things indirectly through the eyewitnesses of the word of God. We read them. We can testify before the world. This is what has happened. And we have it on eyewitness testimony. We're witnesses in that way. And we're witnesses by the change that it makes in our lives. So that when we respond to a circumstance. When someone has has really hurt us. And yet we don't retaliate in fact we love that person and someone says how can you do that that doesn't seem right it doesn't seem just you say well maybe it's not but God has forgiven my sins because he's loved me and he calls me to love that's witnessing that's having power to do something different because you belong to Christ and that's what other people can see when you're insecure, when, when the, your, your health fails, if you have a hope that cannot be taken away and you accept from God's hand what, what he gives you, you can do everything that's right in terms of being responsible. Go to the doctors, apply the medicines. Apply the medicines. If you're new here on, on Easter, I, this is not contagious I'm either. It's a litmus test. You can either call me a flaky pastor, okay? When you get up close, you'll see what I'm talking about. Or I'm very appealing. Okay, let me test. We can do the things that are due diligence. But the fact is, we have a faith and a hope that cannot be taken away when our health fails, even when we go through death. Because Christ the Lord is risen today. He's paid the penalty of sin. He's broken the power of death. And he takes us to be with him forever. It makes sense. A difference, And we can be witnesses of that fact because we've received power. So we have power and we have a purpose. The purpose is to spread the good news of what Jesus has done to all the world. Beginning with where we live and going out from there to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. From their perspective, 
we are the ends of the earth. If it weren't for them to carry, uh, carrying out this role, this purpose, we wouldn't know Christ. But they did, and we continue to do so. After he said this, Monday came, in the metaphorical sense. He was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. He was gone, and they were left to walk a Sabbath day's journey back into Jerusalem. But before they did that, they just stood there. They watched him ascending into heaven. And suddenly two men robed in white. You know, the movies, men in black. These are angels in the Bible. Two men dressed in white stood beside them. You can almost see it like a skit that these angels come up beside them and go, Why are you looking up into heaven? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And there we might don't just stand there looking at Jesus. Let's go back. This is the real world in the, the greatest sense ever. But let's go back into the fallen world in which we live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in the light of the resurrected Lord the power that we have in the Holy Spirit as we put our trust in him and receive him into our lives and as witnesses to what it means to know Jesus living in this world with a hope that the world does not have. If there's any sermon that I want you to remember in all my time with you, it is this one. It's Sunday. But... Monday's coming, and you are you have power to be witnesses for Christ until He comes again. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would draw us to yourself in such a way that we just don't have inspiration on Sunday and step back into the real world, but that we are reminded today of what you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would uh, leave this place to live empowered by the spirit, to live differently, and to glorify you, that we would be your witnesses until our Savior comes again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.